0: Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber and I'm sitting here with James Harkin, Anna Chazinski and Andy Murray, and once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days, and in no particular order, here we go. Andrew Hunter Murray, I saw your face. (laughs) (laughs) Starting with fact number one, and that's my fact. My fact this week is that scientists have finally worked out why the four of us and all humans. Are not constantly leaking. They started with the four of us, didn't they? We were the guinea pigs, and they yeah. extrapolated. Yes, exactly. No, this is this is we've just worked out. Actually, I say just. Actually, it and today. also,
1: I think Andy, you are leaking. Are you?
0: Oh, sorry. Yeah, hang on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we've already had these chairs upholstered once this week, Andy. Come on.
0: This is uh this was discovered or published at least in November of 2016. And I didn't know this, but scientists have been desperately trying to work out. (laughs) Desperately is a bit of a trend. Desperately is a bit of a stretch. (laughs) Why we don't constantly leak. Because we shed more than 500 million cells every 24 hours. So basically in a two to four week period, our entire body of outer layer skin is completely replaced in the process of that happening we should just be suddenly, you know a bit of arm skin goes and suddenly <laughs> blood's spurting out or sweat or we should be like just sprinkler systems non-stop but we're not and they don't know why except for now they do <laughs> and why is it then? James, it is so easy to explain <laughs> I'm not even going to bother um, <laughs> Why don't you try <laughs> okay, what it is is we have effectively three layers of skin, which I think works a bit like a conveyor belt. You know how like shark's teeth get replaced the further they go forward. Yeah. So the top layer is just the dead skin, almost. It's it's really flaky and it goes all over the shop. Then there's this middle one which is a bit fluidy, and that's really that's really nice. Um, <laughs> and then we have an original layer which is sort of like the real the real meat of the cake, of mm. the meat cake. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Some
3: excellent
2: metaphors and yeah, here yeah i didn't actually.
0: realize it was
3: this easy to explain i have to say
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so what happens is they all shift up one place and what they didn't know was how it was that no holes were being revealed when the flakes of skin were disappearing what was plugging the gap and what mm. they've discovered is what effectively is kind of like a pritt stick glue it's like a temporary glue not good not as good as super glue which eventually comes to the second layer but that original layer has a sort of Pritt stick glue which holds holds the gaps closed so it holds all the stuff in. So it's like a meaty cake with Pritt stick on it. Yeah, in the, at the bottom layer. And
2: don't forget there are three layers of shark's teeth on the top layer. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah.
3: I didn't realise that we were completely dead on the outside. No, we're not dead. Some of no, us are dead on the inside. <laughs> 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 no, the, the very outermost layer of skin cells are, are dead, I yeah, think. We're just, yeah, we're just, we're wearing... Death. (laughs) What are you wearing today? Just death. That's the the worst bits of me. That is weird, isn't it? Because the cells are there and they're full of um, keratin, which is also in your your fingernails and your your hair and things. But none of the cell machinery is in that outermost layer.
2: Yeah, that is is bizarre.
3: So this study has found the structure of that second layer. Uh, down
1: the second layer is called the stratum granulosum, mm. and that layer has got a special structure that they've just found out, and that's the reason that they've worked out that we're not leaking, right? This structure is an extremely efficient way to pack together shapes, and it was first discovered by Lord Kelvin, and it is tetradecahedrons, which means it's objects with 14 faces, and our cells are made of these shapes, so they really pack together nicely, which means nothing can get through. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Although I've been so confused by this, and like I the, know the te- mine, mine
0: was way easier as an explanation. <laughs> what, was that? That, what was that? Tetra, well- dextra, dextra, dextra. <laughs> <laughs>
2: The thing is, tetradecahedrons, you would have thought if that's good at plugging gaps, then the ones with 16 faces are going to be even better. And shapes with 18 faces are going to be even better. It can't be that 14 faces is the maximum goodness you at would plugging think gaps that, in the But scheme. then think about
1: a cube. Mm. That fits together perfectly. Yeah, But then an object with five
0: faces isn't quite as good as a cube, is it?
2: I don't so really know. Okay. <laughs> but I'll take your word for it.
0: <laughs> but do you, what, are you saying that um, nature should have selected a better... Decahedron.
2: I'm just saying it's interesting that this 14-faced shape Seem to be the ideal shape for our skin to right. be Right, okay, um,
0: yeah
2: It's the same shape as the new £1 coin
3: Is it now? Yeah. So in, a, in Extremis, could you plug a gap or a wound in your skin with a £1 coin? Yes
0: but well, hang on, no. Is it the same
3: shape as that? I thought
0: it's a three D. It would be if it was a three D. Um,
2: it's the same shape as that because the, the new one pound coin has twelve sides around the edge, and then it has two sides on front that and back. I mean, it's and the
0: same shape. It's does not it?
2: exactly. It's got the same number of faces.
0: Yes, yeah, because it's more like a like a <laughs> Rubik's cube, but with more faces
2: it's more equilateral I think the one in the skin compared to the pound coin but basically as you say Andy (laughs) when I seriously wound you later you can shove a one pound coin in there and see how much good it does
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Lord Kelvin back in the day he was trying to work out what is the best way that foam can work so if you have a load of bubbles what's the absolute most efficient way that they can pack together and he came up with this particular shape and then it's only recently that we found out it's in the human body
3: that's amazing That's really cool. Why was there a problem in the 19th century with foam being inefficiently packed?
1: Well no. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, um, he was studying mathematics okay. and there's a really interesting um, thing in maths which is if you get a lot of bowls uh, and put them together, how do they pack nicest? And the way it turns out is the same way as greengrocers do it with oranges. So you put them all down, then you put um, spheres in all the gaps, Mm. and that's the most efficient way of packing it. And they've done it with four-dimensional, five-dimensional, six-dimensional. It's a really interesting kind of mathematical thing that they do. Mm -hmm.
3: Have you guys heard of MatTech? No. It's a lab in America, and its business is growing human skin. Oh, so wow. there's an incredible feature about them in Wired. Uh, I really recommend reading it. They grow two humans' worth of skin every week, but in thousands of little coin forms. And basically it's so that you can test shampoos or or cosmetics or a- anything you like, detergent or lute cleaner or suntan lotion oh, wow. on these little coins of wow. skin. Yeah, and they grow them. So what they do is they get uh, offcuts from hospitals. So if you've been circumcised in Boston, your <laughs> skin may have been... your Foreskin may have been grown to two football pitches in size and then cut up for experiments.
2: Wow! wow. So, is, so shampoo will have the same effect on someone's foreskin as it will on someone's scalp. Can we be sure of that? No. Okay.
3: We cannot. <laughs> <That's>
2: <laughs> I, think.
0: I think. Is that like... a thing that says on the bottle? No, it's been tested on foreskins, so they know what they're doing.
3: Yeah. Um. All the other operations as well, like a tummy tuck or breast surgery or various things like this. Yeah. Wow. I know, and they grow it, and so imagine that.
2: Um. Someone else who experimented on skin is a guy called Brown Secard who I reckon we probably talked about uh, before he was a scientist in the 19th century who was always experimenting on himself and he wanted to know why we needed skin and whether we'd be fine without it and so to do to find out whether we'd be alright without our (laughs) skin he he didn't do the disgusting thing you're imagining he covered his skin completely from head to toe in fly paper varnish which completely blocks it up so it was to find out if the skin's actually having a useful interaction with the outside world um, and almost died because it turns out we do need
1: our skin yeah that's
0: like goldfinger yeah, the mm. lady who—not um, the villain. It was the lady in the um, movie. She was covered in gold, and she died. Ah. And there was a—did ru- oh, she though? I think was yeah. that not a rumor? I b- no, in the movie she died. Oh, in the movie she died. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't was... go to the movies and just listen to the rumours afterwards.
0: <laughs> you see, I see everyone who dies in the movie, I'm like, did he really die? I, I th- it was a
3: rumour he did. It would be a bigger bit of film trivia if one of the Bond movies had killed an actress by painting her gold. <laughs> no, but
0: that, that was one of the great myths of yeah, it, is that really? in real life, it, she suffered from that and she died.
3: I thought it was a real myth that if that happened, you would die. But I thought they had left a something like a, a patch of skin on her back unpainted and she breathed <laughs> through that. <the> <laughs> <laughs> that was a rumour.
2: <laughs> but we don't know the absolute truth about this Bond lady, I don't think, based on that conversation, except that she definitely didn't die. Um, right?
0: Don't know. Yeah, right. she's alive. She's fine. Um,
2: but yeah, Brown Card did that, and he did nearly die, and you can if you do that, and his student burst in and found him completely unconscious in the corner of the room, covered in varnish, and so he got some <laughs> sandpaper and started sandpapering this sand varnish. he him? Sand yeah, him. he sanded him down, and then when he regained consciousness, he there shouted... must
3: be a better way. <laughs> Did he then cover him in a layer of tea coil and slowly work that in with the grain? Is that
2: a carpentry joke?
3: Kind of, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Joke's a bit much.
2: (laughs) Um, but yeah, and he was really pissed off, Brown Sakar when he regained consciousness. He said, "You've ruined the experiment. We were going to find out <laughs> if it could kill somebody." That's and amazing. His student was like, "No, it can." He's the same guy who uh, he ate a patient's vomit once to give himself cholera, so he could prove that laudanum worked, and then he almost died from that as well, actually, um, and had to be revived. Is it with the some same coffee. student
0: who's just saving him? <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Comes
3: into work each day. Hey, oh Jesus! he's <laughs> Covered in rats. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Um you know uh house mites yeah. Mm. yeah so they live on our skin and they eat skin and do you know what they also eat they also eat their own skin do they yeah so house mites are as much of a problem for themselves as they are for us basically Do dung beetles eat their own dung don't know mm. you would wouldn't you you would
2: <laughs> If you were into dung, yeah. it's the most readily accessible dung you can get, isn't yeah.
1: it? Yeah. yeah.
3: But the thing about house mites is that they have skin, and then when it flakes off, they eat it, But then, they, and they also excrete it, and then eat it several times Wow! to get all the nutrition out of it. Clever. Yeah, what?
0: I know. Um, I read a, a fact that I found pretty astonishing uh, today, which is that we have a microbiome, so we're covered, mm. obviously, every apparently centimetre of our skin is covered in thousands of different species of bacteria. So... We are literally housing a planet in the same way that our planet is housing life. Hmm. We are doing the exact same thing, just on our own body with bacteria. And um the article said that if you were to if if there was a scientist who decided to grind up a single person uh and sequence all the DNA from that every- guy grind up himself, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. he's got one foot in the grinder and his mate comes Student in. Comes in, boss, no, <laughs> But so yeah, so the article
0: was saying if a sadistic scientist like him um, did decide to do that, grind up and sequence all of that DNA that was on our entire body, either in our body or out on top of our body, only two percent of the genetic material that he would find would be us, the human. And the rest of it's all the bacteria floating around us. Yeah, 98%. We're carrying 98% Mm. something else other than us. Filthy. Yeah. That's very cool. We need a shower. Disgusting. (laughs) Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this
1: week is that the iconic green code at the start of the Matrix movie is made from sushi recipes. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. Um, so this is a fact it's been on the internet a little bit over the last few weeks but i really like it and it was an interview with cnet by production designer simon whiteley uh, and he said that these little things that are going up and down are made of reverse letters numbers and japanese katakana characters
0: which are from sushi recipes wow. yeah it was his wife's sushi recipe book wasn't it he scanned it in and uh took all of the yeah the writing <laughs> no. so cool So do you think
2: there's anyone who just watches The Matrix when they need to cook a Japanese meal for their friends? (laughs) (laughs) Where is that DVD?
1: (laughs) I also think I've only eaten sushi. I've never made it. There can't be much in the way of recipes, can there? (laughs) (laughs) Take some fish, take some rice, wrap it up, eat it. Um, so the matrix we all live in the matrix oh yeah it's an exciting theory isn't it yeah actually a relatively mainstream theory these days that Mm -hmm. we might live in the matrix
0: it is but like i was reading a lot of um articles about it off the back of you putting this fact forward and uh there's a lot of conferences with big scientists talking about it and even i who love this kind of thing was a bit like guys this is bullshit. But You're then, wasting your time.
1: But then I have a physics degree and I actually believe it.
0: Do you? Yeah. Do you know what the problem is? I. This is what I noticed. You had these big scientists. Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, was the host of this big conference and a lot of scientists talking about it. And I realized the difference is that stoners say this stuff all the time. No one takes it seriously. But if you're able to, like, say an equation at the end of your sentence, suddenly Mm. the world is really interested. (laughs) And that's what that was. That was a stoner conference with maths.
1: Maybe every time you
3: say something stupid, if you just say Y equals X (laughs) squared. exactly. (laughs) Do you just only like conspiracy theories before they get mainstream? (laughs) I think you're kind of a hipster for nonsense. Yeah, the JFK assassination is so hack.
1: (laughs) So one of the most basic ways of looking at this is... We think it's probably possible for us to make a simulation of the universe. At some stage in the future, it will be. And when that happens, it will be done. And it will be done more than once. And we wouldn't know if we're in here or if we're in the simulation. And so likelihood is there's one reality and loads of simulations. So statistically, we're more likely to be in one of the simulations.
2: Although, I have a problem with that slightly because I'm not quite sure how we know there's any one reality. And then there's like a kind of multiverse theory and a parallel universe theory. Yeah. So there could just be infinite numbers of simulations and realities. And That's true,
1: although it could be that each of the realities has a load of simulations. Oh, God, of course. And so you can have as... different levels of infinity. You can have higher infinities and lower infinities.
0: Guys, so stop hogging <laughs> the joint. Hand it over, man. Give me a hit of that.
2: <laughs> Elon Musk, I think, says, and I know he's got, he's a bit wacky, but he does say that, that he thinks there's a billions to one chance that we're not living in a simulation. Yeah, I'm with so. it. Um, but but, but I, you say that I don't know if people Really believe it You know intellectually It's probably true But do you really think We're in someone's video game I think it's more likely Than not But then I also think That it doesn't
3: make Any difference Why well, was about to ask what? What can I do <laughs> if well, we're in a simulation, what What am I to do about it?
2: You can hire, in Silicon Valley, two tech billionaires who have re- remained anonymous have hired a bunch of scientists to try and work on breaking out of the simulation. Oh,
0: it good. must be Musk, right? It must be him who's one of them.
2: They've remained really? anonymous, so I don't want to spread rumours about it, have, who it might
3: have be. Have people been given money to try and break us out of the yeah. simulation that yes. we're in?
0: That was, a, that was two sentences, I think, in a New Yorker article, right? Yeah. And no one has followed up on who these people are, <laughs> but it sounds like it's, it's a true. What a
3: job, though, isn't it? What a job, yeah. being a scientist. Just <laughs> Sorry, yeah, still nothing, but we'll need another grant, I'm afraid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we haven't beaten the boss on level three yet, so... <laughs> do you think they would just play The Sims and try and work out how to get The Sims out of their simulation?
2: That's such a good idea. Yeah.
3: Did the, can you make The Sims play Sims when you're playing The Sims? <gasps> Don't know, mate. Because C- if you can do that, I'm with you and your theory. Only
2: Alex Bell, who almost came on this podcast today, would know the answer to that because he's a Sims <laughs> fanatic and he's not here. Yeah. Oh, well. There was an engineer from MIT who worked out M- how much computer memory it would take up to simulate the universe as it is now. So okay. the universe is massively complicated and he looked into the size of the computer that would be needed to get in all this information and he worked out that the computer itself that is running our simulation would have to be bigger than the universe. Yep. So that's impossible. But then... But what,
0: is he using Windows? Or- <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you're trying to build a universe.
2: <laughs> <laughs> then he upgraded his system and it turns out it's fine. Because
3: um, you would just put on that little star- screen screensaver with the stars, wouldn't you? Yeah. That's basically good enough for a first stab. See,
2: I think a lot of people think that's not good enough and that there's more to the
3: universe. <laughs> or maybe that. we're not even the computer game, maybe
0: we're the screensaver. <laughs> <laughs> How embarrassing.
2: The point is We don't require much computer memory because uh, it's not like there's an entire universe that's been simulated. They've only simulated the bits that we're uh, clever enough to spot. So we're too stupid to see all the massive gaps in this computer system. Mm. So it's like every time we study the movement of stars or something, then in this computer simulation, they go, okay, the humans are looking at it now. We better provide some information for Mm. them here. But the rest of the time, they don't have that information there. And that saves on computer memory. And that's why there is a computer that's the right size to run this simulation that we're all in.
1: And that's why in quantum. Physics: things only change when you actually observe them.
2: Yes, because we're all in a computer.
0: That's the thing. Like, does you don't see the? You know, I haven't played Sims, but presumably there are, there are people in it. Are there people in it? Yeah, yeah. You, you build a family, and they have jobs and lives. So you don't see the family suddenly sitting around dinner, going, "Do you think we're in a simulation? Because <laughs> if we are, the simulation has started to question itself. Well,
3: there is a philosophy expansion pack of the Sims where. <laughs> <laughs> They do do that, so it's really good. So, one way you might be able to tell if you're in the Matrix
1: is yep. if there's a glitch in mm. the Matrix. This yes. is a thing, isn't it? It's like a little meme. If you go onto Reddit, you can go onto reddit.com/slash glitch in the Matrix oh, and you cool. can see examples of when people have spotted that spotted glitch. It. Right. Um, so, some of them, I only read the headlines because <laughs> I read a few of, them, of the actual explanations. They were a bit boring. But someone said, Three eggs have disappeared in my fridge.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Glitch in the Matrix, guys. Glitch of the Matrix. Where is my sandwich? <laughs> Glitch in the Matrix. Glitch. I think I heard perfect by Ed Sheeran in 2008 or 2009. <laughs>
0: wow come on guys if that isn't evidence don't <laughs> one is it's irrefutable there's a famous one as well which i was told about by our buddy joel um who is one of the writers of the those ladybird books and he's he's very much convinced that this is the glitch and it's that there used to be a series of kids books which i used to read as a kid called the berenstein uh What's that?
1: We've never heard that before. (laughs) Oh, we got a bit close to reality, guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Glitch alert, glitch alert. (laughs) They're coming for us. We get men in black coming. Yeah, so um the Berenstein Bears, uh there it was a series of kid books and the the glitch is that everyone seems to remember that they're called the Berenstein Bears, but in fact they're called the Berenstein Bears. The authors were Berenstein, mm-hmm. And genuinely, there's a whole thing on the internet of people talking about I swear to god, I grew up on these books my whole childhood, it had an e not an a in steen not stain. Really? And the glitches, the books have suddenly just all change themselves to a different name
2: that's like walker's crisps everyone thinks they remember walker's cheese and onion crisps being the blue flavor or the whatever flavor they're not green the green flavor they are
3: the blue flavor yeah
2: they are the blue flavor and everyone thinks that they used to be the green flavor and they never were Mm. but that sounds like it's another glitch yeah and it's like what happened to my sandwich guys (laughs) (laughs) there's so many glitches in the matrix the creators of it were quite keen that everyone who was involved uh, got to grips with the philosophy weren't they so it was the wachowski brothers who are in fact both the wachowski sisters now so mm. it was the wachowski brothers who wrote the screenplay for and directed the matrix and they are both transgender and they wow. are both now lana and lily wachowski um but they uh, you know cited as their influences for the matrix like homer and hitchcock and dostoevsky and this whole array of kind of different sources
0: so Why Neo always goes, DO
2: You think it's the first part of the word Dostoevsky?
0: No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just
2: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) We're really on different planes, aren't we, (laughs) Dad? Sorry. Um Anyway, during the filming of it, everyone who worked in it, all the actors were made to read three books. They were made to read three books of philosophy. So wow. Simulacra and Simulation by Jean Baudrillard, who's like a sociologist and philosopher. And then they were made to read Out of Control by an ex-editor of Wired. And they were made to read Introducing Evolutionary Psychology. So wow. they had to really come to terms with the philosophy that they were exploring. Yeah. Oh,
3: interesting, interesting, that isn't? must have come in very handy during the massive gunfight scene in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, the Warner Brothers, they didn't trust the Wachowski brothers at first, because the Wachowski brothers have very little experience making films, and this was a very big idea. So they told them they had to go away and direct another film first. Okay. They just said, go away and make a different film, and if that one's a success, we'll let you make The Matrix. And uh, what was the other one? They went and made a film called Bound, which is described by the New Yorker as a lesbian thriller with a happy ending. Oh.
1: Aww. Which just
3: doesn't sound very close to The Matrix. It doesn't seem like a perfect proof of concept.
2: No, it, they've, you mean they've set them sort of a bad job interview there.
3: Yeah, but it it was a success, and then they said, "All right, you can go away and make the Matrix." And yeah. did they do
0: a sort of classic happy ending, or did they misinterpret it as a massage uh, happy ending? I haven't wow. seen Bound. Just curious. <laughs> if I was told to make a movie with a happy ending, <laughs> you would do that, would, would you? Though <laughs> you Sorry, it a... doesn't fit in with the plot, but they told me to do it. <laughs>
2: Oh, God. <laughs> Every Disney film would end in a masturbation scene yeah. If Dan was there
0: <laughs> Well we saved the day I'm just going to have a quick massage
2: <laughs> It's very weird that you hear happy ending And that's the first thing you assume
3: <laughs> <laughs> The Matrix would not have been made If you were the Wachowski brothers
0: <laughs> Okay It is time for fact number three And that is Chizinski
2: my fact this week is that the longest ever kayak trip was completed by a man who couldn't swim. <laughs> this was a really good article in Vanity Fair uh, sometime in the last couple of weeks. It's about a guy called Oscar Speck, who's just this amazing guy. He was German, and in 1932, he climbed into a kayak. His business wasn't going very well. Like, Germany was in, in the doldrums then because uh, of the depression and because of the Versailles Treaty combination of the two and so he got in a kayak thought sod this got onto the Danube and he kayaked for 30,000 miles all the way to Australia where he arrived in 1939 and
0: when he arrived
2: And when he arrived, he was immediately put in prison because the World War II had started.
0: (laughs) He was German. But he enjoyed it so much that he decided he was going to go to Australia. That was never the plan. So he would kayak kayak during the day and then he would dine in the evenings with ambassadors and, and the rich of every place that he was staying. In fact, he even, and this is maybe potentially why he was arrested when he got to Australia, he was German, obviously, but at one point he met up with a Nazi officer who gave him money funding the next leg of his kayak trip, and he had a Nazi flag on the front of the kayak as he was going.
3: They probably
1: thought they were being invaded by the smallest ever (laughs) German forces.
3: (laughs) You wait till the other guys get here.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah he didn't think he was going to go to Australia did no. he his um he had a vague goal of reaching Cyprus to
0: work in the copper mines yeah, yeah. that was his big dream wasn't it he wanted to work in a, in a mine that and, was his and
2: he realized it yeah so he ended up by kind of coincidence i guess uh kind of north of sydney in a big opal mining area and he really did make his living from then on with opal mining wow. so he had this fantasy about mining and he was always sending random bits of rock home to his family <laughs> and saying I think this is really precious and they just go it's a lump of rock mate keep kayaking and but he really did make his fortune in opal mining mm-hmm. and he never went back home I don't think or oh, he didn't go back home until 1970 never saw his parents again yeah. spent the rest of his days uh-huh. out in, in Australia uh, well seven of them were spent in a uh,
0: prison of war he was, he was we should add um, he stayed in Australia post war but for the entirety of World War Two, he was uh in jail yeah so he was he arrived was arrested and spent world war ii in although
2: prison. he did escape twice did, did, he? He, did
3: he get recaptured because he insisted on going with his kayak <laughs> 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 just look for any waterways suitable for a kayak could be on one of those <laughs> um, well he got uh, arrested in india uh, on the theory they believed that his kayak was also a submarine <laughs> <Not> really? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And they thought they thought he was a spy, right?
3: They thought he was a spy, and that he was. Um Kind of scouting for the for the Nazis. Yeah.
1: I've been um, canoeing or kayaking, and for a lot of the time, my kayak was a submarine. <laughs> I had the problem where I went. Um, I think it was kayaking with my wife. Uh, both of us in the same kayak, uh, but I sat at the back and she sat at the front. And I'm a lot heavier than she is, and so she was paddling in midair, <laughs> and I was just sinking. <laughs>
0: So the one thing that I didn't read in all of this stuff about him is that he couldn't swim. Did that change at all when he was...
2: No, he never learned to swim. He never learned to swim. Because there's
0: huge stretches of just ocean, like dangerous high wave ocean. Well,
2: there wasn't... I mean, there were stretches where he'd go for like 50 miles or whatever, but actually, if you look at the route, he did hug the coast as much as he could,
0: as you would. Also, he didn't really reach Australia. He reached an island that the Australians had colonized and and it wasn't mainland but it's still oz. australia so. i would argue that you would have quite a journey to then get actually to the coast of oz
2: he'd been all the way around papua new guinea as yeah. well by that point and dropped down yeah he landed in saibai which was australian i'm territory. impressed like it's, <laughs> he's,
0: <Yeah>. he's, let's
2: <laughs> see you do it dan
0: i'm just saying but it's interesting the, the non not being able to swim thing is extraordinary because yeah. As soon as you're even this far away in a pool from a ledge and you can't swim, that becomes dangerous. You know, yeah. a kilometre is dangerous if you can't swim.
2: Yeah, it is mad. Yeah. He was probably a bit mad.
0: I'm bigging him up here. Yeah. I know.
2: <laughs> so Britain sells kayaks to the Inuits now. Really? Um, yes, because a school trip went there a few years ago with a few kayaks. And then by the end, they didn't need the kayaks anymore. They were going home. And so they said to those guys, do you want these? And they were like, oh, yeah, we, we ran out a few decades ago. We'll take some back. And then the company that makes them now sends a few over every year.
0: That's very so, cool. That's very nice.
2: Uh, Pope John Paul II <laughs> loved kayaking. Today. Yeah, he got. He was in a race and he was winning it. And just before the finish line, he got a hole in his boat and he sunk. Just before a holy boat. A holy
0: boat. Oh That's so good.
3: Yeah. <laughs> okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Andy. My fact is that male butterflies use fake sperm to trick each other into thinking they're extra fertile. Mm. Oh, I'm glad we've got a happy ending to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Ninety um, percent of butterfly sperm is fake. What? So
2: what's it? What is it?
3: Plaster of Paris. It's <laughs> it's, it's just filler, polyfiller. It's, filler. it's <laughs> not poly. It's it's completely bogus sperm. It's sperm lookalikes which have no nucleus. They carry no proper genetic information oh. that can be passed on in a mating sense. Ninety percent. Wow. So a sperm without a nucleus. Yeah. So it's just a, it's a dummy. It's a dummy. Do they, do they know
0: that? as in <laughs> the sperms like, the, no no as in like the butterflies are they like Whoa, they don't I've got so have, much sperm or done... they're like I'm gonna manufacture my fake Dan, sperm I don't them. think they even know they're
3: butterflies
2: they don't know anything the animals okay they don't know what
3: they they're doing do. I think they know <laughs> what they do know what they're doing here because when they're mating right male butterflies this is a bit gross but they use their penis to measure inside the females how full she is i.e. whether she's mated before mm-hmm. and, and it's like using the dipstick in a car's oil tank is yeah. the closest analogy. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. They then decide... How so much... sorry,
2: do they pull it out and see where the line is? I don't
3: know what they do, but they... <laughs> okay. I don't know exactly how they do it, but they then decide how much sperm to deposit based on the female's mating history, and it's much cheaper for them to produce non-fertile sperm, right? Cheaper
1: in form yeah. as far as energy is concerned. Exactly. Yeah. It takes a lot less resources. Not money.
3: Yeah. So if the, if the female is nearly empty, then the male will inject lots of fertile sperm, but then loads and loads of fake stuff, which is designed to put off future males who might mate with the female. Because then they, they do the dipstick They thing, come along and, and they like, say, oh, then this females this mate is- with loads of males, and it, there's a less of a chance that my um, genetic material will get passed on to the next generation. Right. So they might be deterred from mating. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why they have this, these huge amounts of phony sperm.
2: They also eject, maybe this is the same thing that they eject, actually. It's something called methyl salicylate, which uh, is also called oil of wintergreen, which I think is that substance, and it smells really, really strong. And that's what tells the males, don't uh, mate with this one she's already been mated with. Yes, it's an
3: anti-aphrodisiac deodorant. Exactly. And they it turns, spray on the female. It after. turns you off. Yeah. Okay.
2: But it's in, um, it's in mouthwash and <laughs> in chewing gum. And in various things that we use... That's substance. why
0: you never have butterflies trying to mate with your mouth.
2: Yeah, and thank God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so can I just get my head around this whole yep. animals don't know what they're doing thing? Um, <laughs> so they don't know that they've put the filler in. I don't know that we know what they know. <laughs> but what, No, no, oh but God, they must not know that they've put the filler in because otherwise they would then put the dipstick in to someone and be like... Well, ah, no, 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 I reckon no. that's all filler.
3: No, because if they if they, if they find that the the female's tank is already full, they inject a more potent mixture to compete more with the other males. Oh. So they have different tactics depending on the mating situation basically. And why would you not just go for your most potent sperm? Cuz it takes in initial- cuz it takes a lot of resources. Okay. So it's easier to use the fake stuff. I know what See, you
2: mean. I, I do know what you mean. I don't understand why they haven't evolved to instinctively think when they go in or then they dip in and they realize that she's full up. Instinctively evolved to be like, well, I do that a yeah. lot and it's not real. That's so my trick. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe the other guys have caught on.
0: So they don't know. They don't know that they're all filler.
2: Maybe some of them do. Maybe they're not doing it as much as they were a few thousand years ago.
1: Um, so the females, if they don't want the um, sperm, they will eat it because they have a stomach next to their vaginas, um, which will eat the sperm. Yeah. So this is specifically to male cabbage whites. Uh, and when your male comes in, he might do a blockage in the vagina to stop anyone else coming in. Right. Um, but obviously that's not good for the female because she wants as much genetic material as possible. And so they found that she has something called a bursa copulatrix inside her reproductive tract, which is basically a second stomach which means she can digest stuff that's in there. How are you? So she can eat through her mouth and her
3: vagina. Okay. It's, it's quite the party trick. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, there are jaws. She's got jaws oh. down there. Because oh. the stuff the male deposits is surrounded by an incredibly hard shell. Which the, the which which is designed to block up the entire thing so that other males can't mate with her. So she has evolved incredibly tough jaws to chew through this thing.
2: There's a film where um, jaws, they're... yeah, with <laughs> jaws. <jars. Yes. laughs> There's a few. It's not the one I'm thinking of. <laughs>
0: There's a giant butterfly vagina. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't
2: there a film where <laughs> the vaginas have jaws? Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a B movie. I don't think it was a Spielberg. <laughs>
2: I was thinking about a B movie as opposed to a butterfly movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But yeah, it is good to eat, isn't it? So the semen can actually Ah. contain useful stuff and the men know that and so they do that this thing called puddling male butterflies where they suck salts off the ground. So the way butterflies drink is they drink through a straw in their mouth, this long proboscis which they uncoil and the males will go along the ground sucking up lots of salts, lots of sodium and then this goes into their sperm and when the woman, the woman? When the female butterfly eats that then that creates good... Uh, offspring
1: so what happens when it's winter and there's loads of ice and we put loads of salt on the roads and the butterflies come down and eat loads of salt what happens then anna you get super super butterflies that's what you get Uh, yeah you get do you actually you do you get you get males with extra muscles and females with bigger eyes and bigger brains
3: wow i I don't
1: see many butterflies
3: in winters <laughs> In gyms. <Yeah. laughs> I
1: thought they all... Um, I didn't think you'd got many flying around in winter. Yeah, so you can get, let's say, you, you might salt the roads when it's not winter. Uh, or yeah, you okay. might salt them in higher places when it's cold or whatever. But yeah. basically, they found out recently that if you salt the roads and the butterflies eat the stuff, then the next summer they have extra muscles, bigger eyes, bigger brains. And they asked the scientist who is involved, so surely that means that road salt is good for butterflies? Uh, and she said, I do not want that to be the take-home message. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the? Why not? Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, I think because... Basically, you are changing nature in some way, and generally speaking, we think that doing that is probably not a good oh, idea. Yeah. There's going
3: to be, there's always something, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, I would love to see muscular butterflies <laughs> flying around with big arms. <laughs>
0: well, did did, did you? Funny. Did you? I didn't read more on this because <laughs> I didn't think it would be a, a good topic to talk about. But in Fukushima, there were mutant butterflies off the back of the radiation that oh. were super strengthened. Really? butterflies Yeah. As again, well.
1: the take-home message is not that give a lot of radiation to butterflies <laughs> yeah. is good
3: um, just quickly on this burst of copulatrix that oh, you were yeah. talking about James so it's the the, the, uh, the chewing and uh, digesting organ it takes 36 hours of constant chewing by the female to get through it that's how tough the that's thing that's a lot of
1: chewing mm. even with your mouth mm. exactly.
3: yeah <laughs> exactly
2: when it's clenching what? it's a whole new ball game so, <laughs> so
3: oh god <laughs> but no, a team of scientists looked into how The the super strength spermatophore And they could only break it down By boiling it in concentrated Sulfuric acid no, That wow. is how tough this thing that the male produces That's is wild. And the males, they, the spermatophore The actual package that they give to the female Is up to 13% Of the male's weight
1: It's amazing isn't it? It's all
3: just a fight,
1: basically yeah. the males are just going to make it Harder and harder and more difficult to break down And the females are just going to learn more tricks to break it down yeah and yeah. yeah yeah crazy it's
3: amazing oh.
2: it's the battle of the sexes mm. Mm. we're all fighting it <laughs> yeah
0: we were james and i were talking to our our group buddy Levin skyro who's been on the podcast a bunch of times and he was saying there's a new report that just came out which show that the butterfly mouth and tongue predate flowers and so you kind of go well that's what were they eating beforehand if it wasn't that and the suggestion from this new study is dinosaur tears (laughs) yeah i mean that's very cool isn't that amazing so
2: they dip into the so they've got this proboscis that we think has evolved to go into flowers but actually it's evolved to dip into the dinosaur's eye sockets
0: yeah no no yeah i guess these sockets themselves yeah I didn't, I didn't, I'm just remembering, because James and I I literally saw him yesterday. Yeah, so
1: even now, um, butterflies will eat the tears of animals. I think we all probably knew that. Um, But yeah, the idea is that because they existed before flowers, they must have been eating the tears before they, even the flowers came along.
3: Well, you would think if you were trying to gain sustenance from drinking animals' tears that you would be more subtle than a massive butterfly. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? As in, they've got big, colourful mm, wings. Yeah. If something like that landed on my eye, I would notice.
1: I suppose that you could say that I don't know what these animals are because I haven't seen the study, but I imagine that they didn't look exactly like butterflies, like with the big yeah, ear-shaped wings yeah. and stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: But do you think the butterflies had to evolve to make the dinosaurs cry? Like <laughs> develop they, sort of they
3: evolved to say hurtful comments. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
2: Otherwise, how do they do it? Or to punch them? Maybe that's why they had those superhuman <laughs> butterflies then. <that> just
3: <laughs> Float like a butterfly, sting like a butterfly, <laughs> punch like a butterfly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay that is it that is all of our facts thank you so much for listening if you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast we can be found on our twitter accounts i'm on at Schreiberland, andy at andrew hunter m james at james harkin and Chazinski. you can email podcast at qi.com yep or you can go to our group account which is at no such thing you can also go to our website no such thing as a fish.com got lots of stuff up there we've got the links to our tour which is still going on 2018 we're going to be going around the uk we're going to be doing ireland we're also going to australia in may so check that out if you're down under new zealand as well we have a link to our book which is on amazon and we also have as we said at the top of the show a link to our new behind the scenes documentary behind the gills which is now up online okay that is it andy time for my massage and uh <laughs> we'll see you all next week goodbye